Welcome to Pop Culture Retro, which was recently voted the 15th best podcast by the residents of the Golden Years Retirement Community in Boca Raton, Florida. Each show, we'll revisit some of your favorite pop culture memories with insider and outsider perspectives. Now, please help me welcome your hosts, Ike Eisenman and Jonathan Rosen. Hello, and welcome to another edition of Pop Culture Retro. I'm one of your hosts, Jonathan Rosen, along with Ike Eisenman. And today we are thrilled to welcome a renowned acting coach, founder of the Creative Center for the Arts and the Los Angeles Acting Conservatory, and a director of stage and film productions. Please help us welcome Michelle Danner. Michelle, thanks so much for joining us today. Hi, everyone. How are you? (laughs) Thank you so much for being here. So to start with, you came from a theatrical background. Your dad was very involved in many aspects of show business. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, he um, was a producer and he started, he didn't start in, you know how they say everybody starts in the mailroom at the William Morris Agency. Well, in the 60s, he did not start in the mailroom. He was already a well-known producer internationally. So they asked him to be the president of the first William Morris Agency in Paris in 1964. Oh, wow. So he, yeah, there was a good promotion for him. So he moved his whole family to Paris, which at the time comprised of me and my mom. And then my other other sisters came after that. And so, you know- So you moved there. I moved to Paris. I had my whole upbringing in Paris. And my father was always so happy about that because he felt that uh, the education that we were getting was so strong. Uh, And he was right. I think I fell in love with, you know, literature, with writers, with museums, with art, with theater, with movies. And so I grew up also in an environment of of actors and artists and, you know, uh, singers and dancers, and they would come to the house and you know, it's just a, a wonderful and artistic upbringing. What type of things did he produce? Mm. Well, he produced a lot of singers uh, like um, Liza Minnelli, Charles Aznavour, Sammy oh, Davis, wow. Marlena Dietrich, Edith Piaf. He has many stories. As a matter of fact, I have a documentary I'm working on with all the stories he tells. Um, and oh, then, that sounds great. <laughs> Sorry, I mean to interrupt He promoted the Kinshasa, Jamaica, and the, uh, all the fights with Muhammad Ali. Oh, wow. And Frazier and Foreman. And then when I became a teenager, I went on tour with him. He did shows like Saturday Night Fever that toured all over Europe. He did uh, Bubbling Brown Sugar. He Then we did the Harlem Globetrotters for several years. Oh, like my gosh. Three years. <laughs> We traveled all over the world. And then because I at the time was taking my acting classes in New York and I saw an opportunity to announce the Harlem Globetrotters. And so, you know, I announced them in five different languages because I was the only person that knew all the languages. So I would come in front of a stadium, let's say in in France, in Paris, at Bercy. There's like 14,000 people around me. And I'm announcing, you know, the 60th edition of the Harlem Globetrotters. And then we had rehearsed these bits with Twiggy at the time, who was their, you know, comic relief, who would go steal the bag from the woman in the audience and pull out things from the bag. And, you know, and I would act all horrified. What are you doing? What are you doing? So we would have, you know, those interactions. And that was fun. It was some fun years of, of traveling. Oh, that's incredible. Wow. Now, how, how difficult, because I, I moved around a lot as a kid as well. How difficult was that for you to move around and acclimate to new cultures and new, you know, traditions, I guess? Oh, it was fun. It was, it was sometimes, you know, we took a um, bus and truck, you know, which was one city every different day, or sometimes we took a plane. Uh, I have war stories about, you know, being in Panama and in the middle of a potential uh, political coup and oh, wow. getting the glo- and getting the globetrotters out of there i just said grab oh your bags we're going to the airport we're leaving i don't care about getting the money we're just getting out of here uh, wow. so i have i have all these stories but um it was great because i traveled a lot i've always traveled a lot and and some of it obviously had to do with my dad and uh 
you know, I still travel a lot, a little less in this last couple of years with uh, with COVID. Right. This wonderful plane going by, but right. I've always um, I've always traveled a lot. Well, well, I we read that some of the benefits of your dad. Um, have included people like Melania Dietrich and Sammy Davis Jr., which you just mentioned, coming over for dinner at your house. I mean, that's not a bad uh, that's not a bad bad benefit. What were they like, and what was it like to just to socialize with them? Yeah, I mean, I was a little girl, but apparently, you know, there's stories that I have been told that when I'm two years old and three and four, I tap danced on top of the coffee table. Uh, for the William Morris <laughs> agents that came to visit and all the entertainers. Julio Iglesias also, we went on tour later on with Julio Iglesias, the Tommy Dorsey Orchestra. Um, oh. I went on tour, my father had organized the village people. I did that. <laughs> Another great story on that one. Oh my goodness. Um, oh, well, do share. My little, <laughs> so. my little, he's, I have this, you know. Oh, <laughs> she's beautiful. Yeah, unfortunately, he's, 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 he he got a little sick, so he's very uh, needy. Oh, he's. I heard, I thought I heard she. I apologize. Yeah. yeah. He's yeah, like a little girl. He's a little needy today. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I, I've had listen. I had a great childhood and upbringing, and you know, and I think you know how sometimes you pass it down generation on generation. Mm -hmm. So I have two boys, and. They have had an incredibly artistic upbringing. Theirs oh, have sure. been a lot of movie sets. So, you know, I've directed several features and they've come on set with me and um, about, I'm prepping for a feature right now that I'm gonna go shoot uh, on the East Coast and, uh, and they're gonna come with me as well. And they're getting that education, you That's know, they're traveling. So I've passed it down to this younger generation of my children, what my dad handed to me, which was a love of the art, arts, love of the arts, love of traveling, you know, discovering, having intense curiosity about different cultures. Um, and I, I sure. did the same thing for my kids, because, you know, in addition to that, I get invited all over the world to teach acting. And we were so, going to ask about that, sure. <laughs> yeah, so I take my kids to Cusco and to Machu Picchu. That was like, you know, a highlight. Or to Moscow, which we won't be doing anytime soon. <laughs> and well, St. Petersburg, um, you know, so or South Africa, Cape Town, Johannesburg. So, you know, they, they've gone to all different parts of the world. And, you know, there's just something really wonderful to do that, to travel like that. Mm. So now you you just mentioned now you can't leave us hanging. You said you have a great village people story. Can you share that? So. Oh yeah. So, <laughs> and my dad wasn't there. He was prepping something in Europe, and we're in Cali, Colombia, and uh, so the village people are about to go on, and uh, I guess unbeknownst to us, the people that this big party they all had like coke on their tables and it was like a whole you know like a mafia thing <laughs> it was like what? the colombian mafia but i at the time was i don't even think i was 18 yet i was 17 and a half and i had a red dress on and i want you to know that i have not smoked in my adult life but somehow i did smoke a cigarette in that in that time i had a cigarette and i had a red dress and basically i told them that if they didn't pay us the village people were not going to go on. They were not going to perform and they had to pay ahead of time. And then we'll pay after they go. We'll pay you after. And I said, no, no, it doesn't work like that. You've got to pay ahead of time before they perform. And they took me into a room <laughs> with like four guys with big, I don't know what they were, AK-47s or something, something dangerous. And they basically tried to intimidate me. But I was, you know, that's the ignorance of youth. <laughs> I was wow. just, I was just, I stood my ground. I mean, like I said, they have orders not to go on if I don't tell them. And if I don't go back out there, I said, <laughs> I must have seen some Barbara Stanford <laughs> movie or something to inspire me. But I was like, nope, nope, no do. You pay or there's no show. Oh, wow. And they paid. Oh. They ended up paying. I was so like, uh, you know. I don't know what I was. I didn't realize what was going on. Like I hadn't seen Narcos and, you know, <laughs> I hadn't 
of course, Narcos wasn't happening then. I didn't see, uh, what was it? The Al Pacino movie that I love. Um, Scarface. Oh, Scarface. Scarface. Yeah, yeah. Oh, dear. Really, like, you know, but it worked, you know, it worked. Oh, good for you. Wow. That is wow that's amazing. <laughs> now, I just wonder, when you were growing up now, how jealous were your friends? were like, okay, I have to go have dinner with Sammy Davis Jr. now. Bye. <laughs> you know. Well, I've always, even now in my adult life, I've always, you know, had friends, uh, you know, artists, you know, well-known, less well-known. I mean, it doesn't matter. Artists. Mm -hmm. And I've always, you know, I always remember when I studied with Stella Adler, I, there was something that always stuck with me is when she said that you should be able to go up to anybody in the world, introduce yourself, say, hi, I'm an actor, I'm a writer, I'm a director. Would you like to have a cup of coffee? And I've always believed that. I believe that the community of artists is very international. It's, the, mm. it's a worldwide community. And so, you know, on, on that, I have approached, you know, people, wonderful artists, well-known artists in Istanbul. I remember having, you know, a conversation in Bogota until four o'clock in the morning. Uh, you know, many conversations in different parts of the world with some wonderful artists. And, uh, and I have a community, you know, as of today of wonderful, you know, people that I love and respect around me. So I think that that started from, you know, when I was little and that's how I grew up. Well, yeah, I mean, growing up that way, did you ever think that this was what all kids did or did you realize how special it was even at a very young age? No, I don't think I realized. Well, I did realize a little bit how special it was because my dad, we lived in this house that was really uh, incredible. It was actually a house that the Germans occupied uh, when they mm. occupied Paris. So it had secret corridors. Oh, wow. Which me and my sisters, you know, went on to torture our nannies with white <laughs> sheets. We pretended to be, you know. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> through oh, the corridors dear. and made all kinds of sounds in the house to make you feel like it was haunted. <laughs> Probably it was haunted, but it was one of those old castles and it had, you know, uh, it was beautiful. It was a beautiful house. And as a matter of fact, a few years ago, I went back to Paris with my family. The pe people that live there now were not there, but we like looked through the windows and it brought back so many memories and I started to cry. Mm. Mm. Um, so that was, you know, so that we knew that that was special, right? We knew growing up in that house, one of the houses we grew up in, we knew that that was special. I also knew my dad was very busy, but he was a really good hands-on dad. And he, um, you know, one morning he came back from Tokyo to take me to school for my first day of classes. And uh, so, you know, I see the car, you know, the, the, the limo come up and he's there and he surprises me and he takes me to school and then he goes back to the airport and gets on the plane wow. uh, to go back. So he just did it especially to just take me to school for the first day. And that, you know, is something that a child doesn't forget, you know, because children, all mm -hmm. children just want to feel that they're number one mm -hmm. and that they're loved and, uh, you know, that they're the priority, even though their parents are busy and they work and, you know. So I really, I felt that. So those are, you know, yeah. And then we, we and also we went to beautiful vacations in Italy, uh, a place called Viareggio. And, uh, and so my dad, you know, worked a lot. And uh, so we were, they, they installed for us the table with the, the lunch on the beach. And they would bring, you know, the waiters would come with the white gloves and serve the lunch. And then all of a sudden the phone came because my dad was getting an important call. So stuff like that. And then, <laughs> and then juxtaposed to that, uh, there were moments where, you know, uh, my dad wasn't doing so well and uh, he bounced a check at the supermarket and, uh, and the police oh. came at the house and oh uh, the lights went out because, you know, so it was, it's the highs and the lows of being in show business. Oh yeah. That's, uh, <laughs> I know, I know it well. <laughs> it wasn't all privileged and all. It had, yeah. it had its other stuff too. Yeah. It's good for people to know that because anyone outside the, the business always seems to think it's all, you know, champagne and caviar. And <laughs> oh no, no, he, he struggled. I remember I have distinct images of him, visuals of him sitting at the edge of his bed. And he was, he, he was, it's not like he was drinking a lot, 
but he had, whenever he was going through hard times, he made himself a little scotch and sat at the edge of the bed. <laughs> it was very, uh, what's it called, revolutionary road. Well, his relationship with my mother was very revolutionary road. <laughs> and not, not with that ending, thank God. <laughs> well, because of your background now, did you always want to be involved in the industry or was it just like a foregone conclusion that they were going to nudge you into it? No, I always had a love, 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 love of literature, love of, you know, the theater. The theater is always a passion of mine. Uh, as a matter of fact, I miss the theater so much. Recently, uh, I think my first play back was I went to see uh, Brian Cranston perform in a wonderful play here in L.A. Um, mm. No, I always had a love. I have a, a love for, you know, reading uh, although it's one of the greatest frustrations of my life that I just don't have enough time to read what, everything that I want to read hmm. because life, I remember having a teacher. So, it's, you know, I did my studies in France and I studied Latin as a requirement. And the teacher was this very beautiful woman. She looked like Marilyn Monroe with short skirts, but she would smoke like a pack of Gaulois, you know, every day on the, on the playground. And, but she had a very strong message for us. And her message was read with that voice because she spoke these polois, read. Because if you don't read before you're 17, you won't read until after you're 70 because you're busy living your life, read. I always remember that in truth, she was right, boy. Life has been an express train. And then if you add a couple of kids to the mix, mm. forget it. It's over. Wow. <laughs> you fight for your time. We already mentioned that you studied with Stella Adler, but you also studied with some other legendary acting coaches like Uta Hagen and Herbert Bergdorf. And what was that like and how different were they in their approach to the craft? Very different. And I was so happy to be exposed to, uh, you know, so many different teachers, uh, William Ickey, Austin Pendleton, uh, some wonderful Stephen Strimpel, those were all teachers that would teach at HB Studios, you know, down mm -hmm. Bank Street. And of course, Herbert Bergdorf and Uta Hagen. And everybody had, you know, very distinct. And when I teach my master class, The Golden Box, I talk about in depth different techniques, you know, Stella Adler's technique and, uh, and Sandy Meisner's technique. I studied with Bill Esper. And, um, and in the method, I studied with students Strasberg and, um, you know, just different viewpoints but the truth be known is I remember being on a plane going to Moscow to teach this humongous class that they booked me for for a week and I remember rereading my Stanislavski on the plane because I thought to myself well, these Russian actors are going to get me on something I don't know and I was so I was rereading Stanislavski and I was rereading some other books and you know all this car crash that all the different acting icons have this is the way you do it no this is the way you do it no this is the way you know I've always felt that they were everybody was right everybody is right one doesn't preclude the other it's not like do it this way because I think the moment when it comes to art that you're that dogmatic and you're telling somebody this is the only way that it can be done it's completely anti-art because there's so many different ways and so I embrace all ideologies all philosophies in acting I you know encourage actors to find the tools that work for them and put them in their toolbox, you know, which I call the golden box. Mm -hmm. And uh, and depending on what project you're working on, whether you're in front of the camera or whether you're on stage or, you know, you, you take the tools that work for, you know, for that project, for that character, for that time in your life, because, you know, we change, we evolve, we grow, you know. So, you know, I'm prepping for a movie right now and I find myself, preparing in a completely different way than I've ever done before. So nothing ever stays the same as we know. And that's the great mm -hmm. thing about well, it. When, when did you first decide that you wanted to start being, you know, coach acting and how did you get into it? Well, I came to LA to act. As a matter of fact, I had a screen test for a TV show and, uh, you know, studying acting. And a lot of actors, because I had taken a lot of classes, so I was very interested, fascinated by the craft of acting. And I always spoke very well in acting classes. I expressed myself well, I was passionate. And, and so a lot of actors started to call me to coach. And it got to that point where, you know, one day I think I had like seven or eight coachings, requests. 
And then my agent said, well, there's three auditions today. You're going to go to Pasadena. You're going to go Orange County. You're going to go to, to Beverly Hills. And it's going to take the whole day. So I looked and I go, okay, so I'm going to be in the car the whole day, go audition. And I could maybe help instead eight actors and just stay here at the house. And, and so it was in that moment I went to walk on the beach and I made a decision that I was going to focus more on, mm. on coaching and teaching. And, uh, and that's what I did. And it, it worked out well. I mean, it's definitely Great. something that I will continue to do. And, and uh, I think for as long as I can. That's great. Well, you, you, oh, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Jonathan. No, I just wonder how long it took to have, get your school up and running where you knew this was going to be a success. Uh, well, our school has been, let me see, when I start to look back, you know, you kind of bling and decades go by. How did it all go so fast? You know, when did it start? But uh, I think it was in the year 2000. So we're in 2022. So it's 22 years ago. Um, but I started teach way before that. I started to teach in the 80s. But when the school really got up and then uh, in the last six years, we opened a program conservatory, the Los Angeles Acting Conservatory. So there's the Michelle Danner Acting Studio and there's the Los Angeles Acting Conservatory. And so the Michelle Danner Acting Studio has been established for two decades. Oh. And the conservatory started, you know, about six years ago. And um, yeah, we have students, you know, from everywhere, obviously, from the US, you know, here, here in LA, and from all over the world that come to study at our school. We have a great faculty of teachers, which is great, because those are the moments when it allows me to, you know, go do a creative project or do a movie, um, and, and know that things are well taken care of. We already touched on the golden box, which I find fascinating. Um, can you elaborate a little bit more about it? Is this, how, how did you come to this idea? And is and is it essentially, if I'm just getting it correct, kind of an amalgamation of everything that you've learned, or did you find your own lane within all of that that's that's unique to you after after all of your experience? Yeah, so it really truly came from me studying, for instance, with Stella, who I loved, who was incredibly dogmatic and. And other teachers, you know, many teachers are like, this is the only way you do it. And <laughs> the rebel inside of me went, whoa, wait, no, I don't believe that. Uh, you know, the same way when I was searching schools for my kids, I really believed in progressive education where every year things change um, and you have to change, you have to adapt. And so, you know, I really started to feel that all the people I studied with had enormous things to contribute. And they were all usable, that you could use. You can't use everything at the same time, but all of it is valuable. And there was never a time where I went, oh, well, this doesn't work. No, because it could work. The only thing that I rebelled against was the idea of dogma, mm -hmm. that, you know, that there was just one way. And so that's what I didn't like. And um, yeah, so I teach this master class. It's usually in two parts where I break down this whole entire, you know, all these tools, all these insights that you can put in your in your toolbox, and I do exercises to support it. And I talk in depth about the different techniques and what the differences are perceived to be and are probably not. So people love this class. People say they've learned in this class more than they've learned, you know, in four years of college. I don't know if that's true, but I have heard that many times. I heard that many times. Now, I, one of the things I was reading while well about uh... You know, your acting class, you were voted favorite acting coach by backstage readers. How, how nice is that to be recognized, like, you know, from people that, that in the industry, I guess? At some point, yes, I did get a, a mention there. And, uh, you know, I'm, I, yes, it's always better to be recognized. <laughs> not to be recognized. <laughs> but, you know, I feel like I've had my highs and I've had my lows and, you know, so I'm, it's all the same in a way to me, you know what I mean? And, uh, you know, it's like if, if something, you know, doesn't work well, I never dip down to low. And if something goes great, I never go up too high, you know, I just stay in. It's all kind of the same. It's all good. Well, you started mentioning some of your students before. I, I was reading, you know, some of your students have included Henry Cavill, Christian Slater, Selma Hayek, Penelope Cruz, among many, many others. Any particular stories that stand out with any of them? Well, 
You know, I loved, especially in, in what happened recently, I loved working with Chris Rock. I thought he was just, you know, <coughs> A++, just really an extraordinary human being. And, um, and he gave me a great piece of parenting that uh, his parents let him be for a couple of years to find what he really wanted to do. And, uh, you know, as I was, you know, thinking about how I would parent, I have two boys, uh, you know, the idea of letting them be and discover and find, you know, exactly what they want to do really spoke to me. And, uh, and he really did help me. He really, you know, that, I mean, I worked with him for a while because we worked on this movie, uh, but he, he helped me think about how I was going to parent these boys. Mm -hmm. And I always say, I mean, I'll get to it one day <laughs> that I owe him, you know, a big thank you and, and a letter thanking him. He helped me. Oh, well, that's, that's lovely. I mean, so out of all your students, who do you recall impressing you so much at the very beginning and thinking, you know, this performer really, really has it? Um, you know, um, so many. <laughs> the truth is that so many, I think there's just so much talent. Um, there's so much talent out there. And, uh, you know, I mean, certainly when I worked with Sama Hayek, with Penelope Cruz, um, but so many people, you know, um, you know, I, I know, for instance, now you know that I'm, you know, I direct these movies and I hardly cast people based on their acting. I cast more watching interviews, you know, a sense of who they are. Um, so there's a lot of talent out there. The truth be known is there's, there's just so much talent. Well, on the other side of the coin, now I have to, I have to ask this now, is, have there ever been any students that you just thought they're never going to get this? <laughs> um, well, yeah, not everybody has, you know, the, the goods, <laughs> <laughs> you know, people have different, different levels of talent, right? And then you have to have what Stella Adler used to say, which is a talent for the talent which means a willingness to work hard, a willingness to, you know, go past what's comfortable. I love that she said that. So one thing is to be talented and the other thing is to, you know, have the work ethic mm -hmm. to deliver. Yeah. Sure. Now, when, when someone wants to take classes with you, I mean, what's the process? Are they just able to like sign up or is there like an audition process that they have to go through first? Yeah, they go through an interview process. Uh, sometimes an audition, you know, depending what programs, what classes, mm -hmm. they send in a monologue, they send in a little interview about themselves. Yeah, because we don't take everybody, but oh, that's uh, what I was wondering. Yeah, we don't take everybody, but, uh, you know, but a lot of the times, I mean, people, like I said, there's just so many talented people. Very rarely do you see somebody that you'll go, you know, there's just no way. <laughs> but then it's not enough to be talented. I mean, that's that's the secret. The talent is there in so many people, but it's now having the talent for the talent, a willingness to go past what's comfortable. Mm -hmm. Now, I looked on your site and saw that you teach both in person and virtually. So if someone signs up for like that, what, what type of things can they expect when they sign up for classes? Yeah, I mean, they'll come and, you know, every class has a different structure. They have syllabuses, you know, there's warm-ups. Uh, and I just feel like our faculty is fun and we try and make it fun and creative. And, you know, because acting class should be fun. I mean, some people take classes and, you know, they're scared. And, and it's the job of the teacher, you know, and the, and the community of actors around them to relax them and make them feel like they can try things and they can take risks. And, you know, and the job is to make it warm and fun and, um, and, and not, you know, a lot of the classes that I took when I was growing up had a little bit of a cutthroat energy to it. And it always has to do with the teacher, you know? Sure. So the teacher sometimes, you know, will embarrass a student to make a point or, you know, it's like back in the, the days of the gla gladiator where, you know, blood <laughs> spilled metaphor. <laughs> it's like whiplash, you know? It's like, it's like whiplash, but I've never felt that I, I, had, to, I had to be whiplash in order to teach well. Mm -hmm. I always felt that there was another way to, 
to teach, you know, a more nurturing way. And that's how I always taught. I never, you know, I never felt comfortable uh, humiliating or putting down a student the way, you know, a lot of teachers have uh, in order to, you know, then bring them up. But uh, for me, just that, that doesn't work for me, that kind of teaching. Mm -hmm. Fascinating. So we, we read that uh, studios sometimes hire you to come in and work with particular actors. What, what, what can you tell us about that? I mean, is that, is that someone who's struggling with their role or they're trying to do some work outside of working with the director or what are the circumstances sure. here? It depends. I mean, it has to do a lot of the times with something maybe that's challenging or somebody that, you know, maybe somebody that is starting out and is really perfect for the part, but they don't have a lot of technique. And so they have to learn how to do the script analysis and break down the script and create the character and make the choices in the scene. And of course, you know, when you're shooting, there's no time for that. That's stuff yeah. that needs to happen in the preparation. And that is stuff that has to happen in the personal homework of an actor. That's what they have to bring to the table. So I help them with that. And of course, I've gone on set, but, um, you know, they come to me a lot of the time and I prepare them, you know, on one-on-one. -on -one. Mm -hmm. I'm just curious, have you, have you ever had any of your own acting teachers pop in on your classes? <laughs> um, no, I haven't, because a lot of my classes were in New York and I when I started to teach I took here in LA Got it. so <laughs> I brought in a lot of wonderful guest teachers to teach but uh yeah now you mentioned that you do seminars all over the world now how did that start I mean people referred you or you just heard about you and reached out yes if people always ask me that question you know people just there's always a word of mouth you know when it comes to, and I think that's how I built when I first started coaching and, and foregoed auditions in order to coach, you know, there's a word of mouth that there's a little buzz that happens. People go, oh, you know, just great coach, go to see her. And so, um, you know, that's, yeah, I mean, we're, we're well known, you know, the, our schools are well known. So people just come, which is great. We survived this pandemic, you know, I mean, we had a lot of Zoom classes. Um, oh. We, uh, you know, I thought to myself, if we survive this two years of this pandemic, maybe we can survive anything. I mean, you know, we just, we worked, we were, I was very, very creative. I edited this movie behind me, The Runner, uh, that ended up winning a lot of awards in the film festival. So it was an incredibly prolific time for me. I, I didn't stop, yeah. Well, yeah, you, you just mentioned it, but I was, we were just wondering if, if these seminars are done primarily virtually or do you travel for them um, to work with uh, other actors? During the pandemic, during the two years, I did everything on Zoom, which mm -hmm. at first I hated and then grew to love. Mm. And then, uh, you know, before the, you know, COVID started, I would fly everywhere to teach, you know, including mm. New York and Canada and Australia and everywhere. Um, and since uh, the pandemic, I have taught in person here in LA, uh, but I haven't taught in person anywhere else. Um, well, now, I, now I'm curious about this. Now, coming from your dad's background that he was involved with William Morris, was there ever a point in your life that you thought maybe I'll do it on the agenting side instead of the, the coaching side? No, I never had a desire to do that. Uh, I do, however, uh, pride myself to potentially being a good casting director. So in another life, I could be a casting director, but I think a director, film director has to be a casting director in some way. Um, so I'm, you know, always fascinated by actors. I always look up who they are, you know, what they've done. Um, so that's something that, uh, you know, I think I could have been good at. <laughs> <laughs> well, now you founded, you're the founding director of the Creatives Arts Center uh, for the, you know, the Creative Center for the Arts. You raised money to construct two theaters and the art gallery in the center. How did that come about and how difficult was that to get going? Well, we found this beautiful place uh, and we built theaters and we raised money and it was not easy. We went into a capital campaign and construction, but a lot of magic happened in 20 years. We did tons of plays and mm -hmm. we recently relocated to a beautiful space 
uh, in Culver City, a block from Sony Studios. Hmm. And uh, I had a, a wonderful mural artist paint. If you're coming from the ocean driving into Hollywood, um, you, you see this beautiful mural that says, you know, you can't spell heart without art. Hmm. And if you're driving the other way, and you're driving to the ocean from, from the east to the west, uh, there's the quote is on the other side, you can't make art without heart. And uh, so, you know, we have a beautiful outdoor space with lights and, you know, it's very vibrant and there's a really great energy about this space. And it really, um, you know, although it's a little bit smaller than our other space, it connects people more because it's more intimate. It's so interesting what spaces do, you know. Um, so we're, we're really excited to be where we are. And, uh, you know, like I said, we're excited that we continued to, you know, thrive during some very difficult times for a lot of people. Uh, and, and it was hard to watch, you know, especially for a lot of people. But, but we worked. We kept working, 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 which was great. That's great. They, they, you founded and run the uh, Cinema at the Edge Film Festival. Can you tell us a little about the festival itself? Yes. You know, it's also had like eight years of, you know, just a boutique film festival where a lot of movies had a chance to show their work and distributors came and they get distribution deals and, you know, won awards and had a chance to have a place where they could discuss their work. You know, I love film festivals. Um, I've gone to many. I love who you meet at film festivals other filmmakers. I love the conversations that you have about, you know, your own movie and other people's movies and the support, how you support other filmmakers. So I, you know, I think there's it's not an accident that all these film festivals are booming, but there's a lot of value in them. And Cinema at the Edge, I think, brought a lot of people together. Mm. And now yeah. that hopefully we're seeing, you know, we're, we're getting through this pandemic and everything. Well, uh, you well know. yeah, and people can start going to them again. I mean, I mean, that was yeah. another big hit in the industry. I know because I have friends who had films that they had just finished, were just starting to hit the festival circuit, and everything got canceled, and it was devastating. It's been devastating for many people across many many spectrums, but you know, in 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 Hollywood, I know that was particularly impactful for for a lot of work. So, when did you decide to get involved in directing? Um, well, you know, it was a natural stepping stone, I think. Uh, it's all part of that same umbrella of storytelling. And, uh, you know, I, and I wanted to stamp, you know, what I realized is, of course, if you're acting in someone's movie and somebody else is directing, they get to sign the painting. They get to make the choices, right? If mm -hmm. you're the one that's directing, then you sign the painting. And I wanted to be able to pick, you know, the color palette of the movie and, you know, <laughs> which yeah. now what I'm working right now with my team, you know, color palette and, and inspiration and, you know, how it's going to, how the story is going to be told. Um, and so it was just a natural progression in terms of wanting to continue to be, you know, a storyteller. Mm -hmm. well, you, I've, you know, you've had a lot of interactions with, with Spielberg, who was also involved when you started your theater. Did, did he give you, you go to him for any advice about directing when you started? Well, it's funny you should say that. It, it, you know, I had this. I have this great story. I mean, I didn't have tons of interactions, but he did. Him and Kate Capshaw were wonderfully uh, generous and supported the theater uh, in in a big way, and they were the reason why we were able to do it. And it so happened that my very first movie had to go out on a date in Queens with Jason Alexander and Ron Perlman, a lot of wonderful people, Lisa Morales and. Kimberly Williams Paisley and Allison Eastwood. Um, on my way to set, it was my first day on set, I ran into uh, Tom Hanks and Steven Spielberg having breakfast. Oh, At the time was the Montana Cafe. And I walk in to pick up a quick coffee and, and a donut and a muffin. And I see them and I, oh, Steven, you're not gonna believe this. I'm on my way to set, it's my first day. I'm so nervous. And he looked <laughs> me and he smiled and he said, when you are going to direct your 20th movie, you will be nervous. Oh. Uh, that, doesn't, that doesn't go away. And I was like, okay, then my nerves are okay. Then I took a deep breath and I went, I'm good. I can be nervous. Mm. 
<laughs> who were some of your influences? Uh, for directing? Yes. Uh, I love the work of Mike Lee, the English filmmaker, because of his very detailed work with actors and how he allows them to improvise and create. Um, I, uh, you know, Steven Spielberg, I have to say, I mean, especially now this movie, I'm, I'm working on this new movie mm -hmm. and he, uh, you know, I've been watching Bridge of Spies. I've loved that movie. Mm -hmm. and, um, and he is definitely, uh, you know, one of my inspirations for sure. And I love international film, you know, I love Fellini. Um, I watch a lot of content. I, I always watch a lot. Um, and yeah, so I have lots of different inspirations. Hmm. So you directed the horror film Bad Impulse, which won several awards, including Best Director at the Culver City Film Festival, which is very impressive. What can you what can you tell us about that film? Yeah, so um, it was a script written by Jason Chase Terrell. It was like his baby. He entrusted me with his baby. It was a psychological thriller with horror and supernatural. And um, yeah, I think we did. It was, we finished it. We did the, the festival circuit before COVID, but then it was released during COVID. And uh, so I had the chance of watching it with live audiences and people were scared and, you know, we did like a big thing at the Chinese where uh, it was a film festival. We also won for, I think, the grand jury or something. And um, and it was great because people were like, really, like, I thought I did my job, you know, because I don't really, I'm not like a horror movie person. But now my son watches a lot of horror and I watch it with him. <laughs> so I would say that <laughs> I'm more now uh, knowledgeable about <laughs> horror, but it wasn't my thing per se. But um, yeah, I, mean, I was lucky enough to work with Paul Servino for the second time. Actors like, uh, you know, Sonia Walger and um, uh, Grant Bowler. Uh, I had a wonderful cast. And, uh, you know, I made that movie that people are like, oh, I'm scared. <laughs> so that was fun. What about, what about the one behind you, The Runner? The Runner, that uh, is a movie that started with me uh, watching a news report and starting to cry about how law enforcement, you know, forces underage kids to go undercover to catch the big drug lord of the town, the big drug kinpan. And I wrote a treatment, a three-page treatment. And I asked the same writer of Bad Impulse, I asked Jason, who's a wonderful writer, if he would please write the screenplay to that story. And he did, and he did a great job. Um, and uh, that, uh, now is being distributed. So this won a lot of awards on the festival circuit. Uh, I traveled to Europe, to Ischia, premiered at Cinequest, World Fest Houston, uh, Rhode Island. I mean, like it went a lot of different places, uh, which was really exciting. And, um, and now it's being distributed by Saban Films uh, and it'll come mm -hmm. out probably July or August. Oh, so, uh, yeah, so it's going to have a, a nice release. People will see it. And is it going to be a theatrical well, one or is it going to be on uh, streaming? Where I don't know yet. It really depends. I think they're holding to see what's happening. Right. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, we'll see. But regardless, it'll, I think, have a very good release. I was really stoked because a few weeks ago, uh, Ridley Scott screened it. And he called me and told me that he loved the work. And I mean, I wrote him an email afterwards saying he didn't just make my day. He made my year uh, just coming from him and telling me that he really loved the work was a huge validation. That's great. Now, I assume that you use some of your students in your films. So is, is it difficult to, to go from ment a mentoring, nurturing figure to directing when you say this is how I want it done? Um, you mean when I direct? Yes. No, I always try and stay, you know, even keeled. You don't, you don't, um, you know, you don't get anywhere by, <laughs> you know, you know, something happened, you know, recently and something and somebody was a little bit out of line and I, I, I did get angry and my first impulse was to retaliate immediately and <laughs> call that person and go, you know. What'd you do? What'd you say? How'd you say this? And I took a breath, you know, and because I'm a teaching hospital for my kids, I said to them, you know, it's not the fact that you're right. It's not important. It's what's important is that you do it the right way. 
Hmm. And, uh, and, you know, so I took a breath and I called the day after I said, you know, you didn't mean to, but this is what happened. This is what you did. And the person <laughs> was very apologetic and said, it will never happen again. Um, you know, I, uh, I, I just think your job as a director is to inspire people around you, not to make them feel bad and not to, you know, and, um, yeah, that's, that's important. I, I don't, you know, I probably have been told that as an acting teacher, I have very little ego. I mean, I do believe one should have ego because it is healthy, but, you know, not disproportionate ego, you know, just <laughs> some ego. Uh, and, and I don't, you know, I, I don't like to assert power. I'm just not, it's not my thing. I, I, I feel like I already have anyway authority. Apparently <laughs> people say they're scared of me anyway. So, <laughs> I, you know, it's an authority thing. It's authority, which is great because that's yeah that should be the job i mean people should you know a director should have some authority yeah absolutely yes now you, you're working with ann archer who i think is great by the way and in the ticket to the circus now what is that about well i'm putting i'm wrapping that up uh, you know we worked on it for a couple of years we had rehearsals during COVID. it's um john buffalo mailer who i directed a movie with norman reedus uh, about eight nine years ago called hello herman called me and his mother had written a memoir called a ticket to the circus and he asked me if i would uh direct it on stage and so i called ann archer and i said look at this would you be interested in doing it and she loved it she loved the character of norris church mailer who was the the last wife of norman mailer mm -hmm. and um you know if we've we've taken a journey uh, and uh, we're doing it because we didn't know what was happening with COVID and everything. We decided to do it for virtual theater. It's written uh, by Bonnie Culver, which was a friend of, of Norris. She did a beautiful job and uh, I'm putting the finishing touches on it. Uh, and it'll go virtually um, at the end of May. No, no, I'm sorry. At the, more at the uh, mid-May, mid-May. I'll look wow. forward to that. Yeah. And you well, you now you've directed for both film and stage. Clearly, which do you prefer, and what are the unique challenges to uh, to each discipline? Both. I love both. Uh, mm. I don't have a preference. There's nothing that can you know equate live theater. I love live theater, mm. um, and uh, and I love making movies. I have found. I love the process, whether you're developing it or you're preparing for it, which is the stage I'm at with this next one, uh, and uh, or you're in it, you're filming it, or you're putting the pieces together afterwards, or you're promoting it. You know, with the runner, I went a whole weekend to the Catalina Film Festival, and we had an extraordinary weekend there. They have this beautiful theater there, which is the first theater that they did with sound, in mm. in, and uh, it's just beautiful and. And I sat in this huge theater and, and I won for best directing, which was great uh, too. It was wonderful to win. Uh, and, uh, you know, so I love every stage of it. I love going to the festivals and, you know, I love preparing it. I love when it's just a little idea that, you know, starts to, to build. I love every stage of filmmaking and I love theater. I love going to watch night after night after night, you know. Now, you you mentioned briefly a little bit before your your kids are getting involved in the business now. Well, yes, my um, nineteen year old goes to USC. He studies theater and film. He's you know quite extraordinary, and he's going to be by my side now. He's been coming on set, and uh, my thirteen year old is also writes and uh, he's he's more of an athlete, but he's also you know fascinated. We we have our shows we watch together. I have different shows that I watch with different members of my family. So my dance card is very filled. Everybody, <laughs> everybody fights. And right now I'm like, no, you don't understand. I have to watch courtroom dramas. I'm preparing. <laughs> I can't watch Squid Game and I can't do that right now. Um, but um, but yeah, they're, uh, they come with me, you know, on set and they learn and, uh, you know, they're supportive. They're incredibly supportive. Mm. Yeah. Mm. That's fantastic. Now, I read that you're working on a book. Can you tell us what that's going to be about and when, and when can we expect it? And by the time it comes out, well, I didn't expect that I was going to shoot this thing. I'm going to shoot now. <laughs> um, but, uh, no, but I knew that I was going to shoot something that's actually not true. But, mm -hmm. it, you know, it's a book that's had a lot of uh, process. So by the time it comes out, it's going to be very complete. It's an acting book called The Golden Box that'll have, you know, 
uh, all these tools that actors can use in different exercises and you know I'm, I'm fine-tune it and uh, you know I would say well it's going to come out and, and now it's you know I have <laughs> I'm very going to be very busy for the next few months but it'll come out it'll come out I have a great draft of it God, that, so hopefully that's... in the next year yeah. or two. <laughs> so, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, absolutely. Yeah. Well, you mentioned that you are working on something else already. Can you reiterate that? Tell us about what yeah, it is. And, I'm really yeah. excited about this project. Uh, it it came to me a year ago, and um, and then it came back around. And this is a movie called Miranda's Victim. It's about, you know, how the Miranda rights came about. Mm -hmm. So when they arrest someone. Uh, and I never questioned it. And neither did so many people. And now that this wonderful screenplay exists, written by George Colber, uh, we, you know, you've always heard you have the right to remain silent, anything, you know. But you go, where did that come from? Yes, very much. I'm sorry it, I didn't interrupt you, but yeah. that's always fascinated me. It came from a great story that happened in 1963 in Phoenix, Arizona. And I went to Phoenix last Thursday and I walked around and I went to the house where, you know, uh, the victim, uh, Patricia Weir, who just came forth after almost 60 years. She never told anybody that she was that person that it happened to. She even held it a secret from her family. And so she finally came forth. And this is her life story. This is from her unique point of view. And so I went to the, the house where she lived and she lived, you know, before when she was 18. And I went to the house where Miranda, Ernesto Miranda, who was the predator, lived. Um, the intersection where she got kidnapped when she got out of the bus. Uh, the Paramount Theater where she worked at. Uh, so I went the desert where he took her to rape her. And, um, and this was an extraordinary thing. She had to relive the trial several times because the Supreme Court, the ACLU, fought for these Miranda rights. And, uh, and she had to relive this trial several times. So it was like a nightmare for her, but she ultimately had a lot of courage. She was really brave and she stood up for what was right. Uh, so it's, it's really, a, a, it's a story that you can't even believe that has not been told. Mm. So we're gonna shoot now in um you know in new jersey and then we're going to shoot in arizona and uh, i'm really excited about it well i'm i personally really am looking forward to that because that's interesting and i don't even know the story and yet i've i've heard so many random things about it so it'll be yeah lovely to find out what it was uh was all really uh based upon so that's that's fantastic yeah now how, how just so everyone watching how can people follow you on social media all right. Well, um, you can, uh, Michelle Danner LA, it's Instagram, um, Michelle Danner Acting Studio, Los Angeles Acting Conservatory. I think you just punch in Michelle Danner. They do a good job on the internet. <laughs> you can find me. Well, we will we'll definitely on the YouTube uh, version of this, we will have all that up on the screen so people can, can see it. But uh, right. all right. But Michelle, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been so much fun to get to talk to you and hear all your stories. And I, I am really, really looking forward to the, the book. I, you, should, you should do a memoir as well. You have so many great stories. <laughs> yes, maybe when I'm much older. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm pretty old already. I was just it was a joke. <laughs> <laughs> Well, again, thank you very much. And, uh, you know, real pleasure to talk to you. And uh, this has so been Pop Culture Retro. I'm Jonathan Rosen with Ike Eisenman. And again, special thanks to Michelle Danner. Thank you for listening to Pop Culture Retro, where no one was hurt during the making of this podcast. <laughs>